was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Michael Levine, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Today, I'll be covering the intro and outro because Charles has a bit of a sore throat. The guest today is Clint Ramos, the producing creative director of City Center's Encores, alongside Lear de Bessonet. In addition to that job, Clint is also a Tony-winning Broadway set designer whose credits include Slave Play, Grand Horizons, The Rose Tattoo, Burn This, Torch Song, Once on This Island, In Transit, Eclipsed, Sunday in the Park with George, The Elephant Man, Violet, and the upcoming musical, K-Pop. He also designed the costumes for the movie Respect and serves as an advisor to the American Theater Wing. Currently, you can see his artistic work in Into the Woods at Encores, which runs through May 15th. But now, without further ado, Clint Ramos. So, um, I'd love to start by asking you, um, how did you first become involved with Encores as a set designer? In um, well, I, I, at Encores, I had been um, the, now my position is the producing creative director of, so I, I, I share leadership with, uh, with Lear and also, um, uh, and sometimes, you know, like as I did with the life, I, I designed the sets, but my history with Encores um, goes all the way back to, oh God, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I can't quite remember, but I, I was the principal, uh, I was one of the uh, of three principal designers for Encore's Off Center. Um, and I don't know if you uh, if you remember that uh, um, that program, but oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did 21 shows there, plus the, a couple of galas, um, including, you know, uh, Sunday in the Park with George. So that's my history with, um, with Encore. So I'd always been sort of involved with it. And, uh, and then um, uh, two years ago, uh, Lear, who uh, I also, you know, um, uh, we've collaborated on many projects together, um, called me and said, hey, do you want to work with me um, as part of the leadership team of, the, of, of Encore? And that's, and that's where we are now. Yeah, we're on our second year. Yeah. And so as a designer, what do you love about this sort of giant space of city center? And what is it like to work with that? Well, I think, you know, because it is, first of all, the building is beautiful, right? I think the theater itself is really beautiful because um, it, um, you know, it was it was designed for the people of New York. You know, it was supposed to be, you know, um, the city's cultural center, right? Um, the Moorish architecture that sort of involved that was, you know, used to sort of design the theater itself is breathtaking. You know, I don't know if you, you know, folks should really pay attention and look up and you know see it. But the building itself is is beautiful and historic. But I think the stage itself also, you know, um, for me it feels like the right size. You know, it's the right size for dance. It's the right size for for what we do at Encores, um, and it uh, 
and there's just a, such a sense of history, you know, particularly around who's performed there and how many pieces have gone through there. And so, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of designing at City Center and at Encores is is really feeling that energy, you know. Um, yeah. And how fully produced or designed do you think that the shows should be? Because I know they started as staged readings and they've become much more. Yeah, that's a really good question, Charles. I think, you know, initially the impulse was, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, as the sort of mission of Encore has evolved over time, <coughs> and, uh, so has the sort of like, um, the design elements and sort of scale of it, right? But like, I think it, when Encore started, you know, it was um, actually called uh, Great uh, uh, American Musicals uh, in Concert, right? So it was, it, it had always been, I think the intention was to, to have staged concerts. And, and I think over time, um, it, it sort of developed into uh, more elaborate pieces, right? Um, Lear and I feel very strongly that we want to go back to its original impulses, right? Um, and, and sort of gesture towards design elements, you know, um, and really embrace the concert, the sort of um, uh, the concert spirit of everything, right? Um, and it's hard, right? Because like in the recent history, a lot of encores really seemed overproduced, but we also know that that put a lot of pressure both in the building, the staff, and also in the artists that we um, engage with, right? And like having, you know, eight rehearsals um, uh, and, uh, and expecting it to be a Broadway musical was just not realistic, nor was it, I think, the sustainable, you know? And so I think Lear and I really felt that, you know, it, we should go back to what it was, you know? Um, uh, and we constantly encourage artists who engage with us to actually embrace that, you know? Um, yeah. And how did you sort of sit down and come up with this new format for encores of having a classic show and a hidden gem and an artist? Oh, that's so great that you, you <laughs> asked that. You know, I think part of us, uh, I think one of the gifts of the pandemic was that we were able to actually really look at the history of our course, look at um, look at city center, you know, its original intentions, um, and look at uh, uh, also how you know we may be able to sort of grow and broaden the embrace both. Um, in terms of audiences, but in terms of artists who um, we partner with, right? And I think part of what we wanted to do was, one of the questions we asked ourselves was, how can we make the mission bigger, right? Um, and how can we, in how can we with deference, you know, acknowledge the, the, the original intentions of Encores and how can we actually develop that and, you know, and make that bigger and wider and, and more inclusive in a way. And so to us, it was always, it was always about the past, right? And it was always rooted in our love for the American musical theater, right? But we, we also know that part, part of what we love about the American musical theater is that um, it, for us at least, you know, it, it, we know that when we engaged with it, it gave us so much hope. Right, it gave us so much hope. Whether you know it's a revival or a new piece, but particularly with revivals, you know, we asked ourselves, 
Well, what is it to really revive something, right? Like, what is what what does that mean, right? And why do we revive something, you know? And 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 we went down to sort of like really a kind of like a, a, a an existential rabbit hole about like what it is, and, and you know, and I think one of the things that we really uh, held on to was this idea that to revive is you know, there's a definition of what is it to revive is to breathe new life. And that was inspirational to us, right? And so for us, you know, it seemed like whatever we do, we needed to engage with the past. Yeah. But we didn't only want to engage with the past uh, uh, sort of clinically. We didn't want to just look at the past and say, hey, past, you know, <laughs> there you are. Uh, we wanted we wanted to engage, you know, with the past in a more pragmatic way, in a more um, uh, conscious way, an intentional way. So we wanted to make sure that whatever, however we engage with the past is, it needed to be useful, right? It needed to, 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 it needed to have a reason why, yeah. right? And so we look at the, the sort of the three tenets of, 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 of what we're doing, of this sort of, you know, th this addition to the mission as really about the past, um, looking at the hidden gems and looking at how, um, uh, uh, how that uh, a presentation of something as it was, um, is is about learning about the past, right? And then we look at uh, uh, the the second prong, which is uh, um, uh, uh, looking at reviving something through from the past, you know, um, through an artist of today's lens, right? And and, and an artist of today uh, or artists of today who who have a particular point of view about a particular piece that may uh, offer us a window in how we can look at our present, right? So we're using the past to look at our present, right? And to make sense of the present. And the third prong of that is like looking at a piece of the past and how we can sort of catapult to a vision of a future. And to us, that vision was about how can we create a larger family? through this work of the past, right? And it was about, you know, engaging, particularly engaging with the community. And that's how we looked at those three things. You know, it's not, um, I think a lot of folks are thinking, oh, you've revamped the, the, the mission. We actually haven't, you know, we've expanded it, but we also wanted to be intentional about how we're reviving things. We wanted, you know, the, um, we wanted these artifacts of the, of the past to be useful to us, you know? Yeah. And so how did you settle on the specific three shows for the season? Um, I think for us, we looked at the sort of the canon, you know, and, uh, and, and I think we were looking at, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of dialogue, you know, as I said, I think a lot of what we also did was like really engage with artists, both who have a history with Encores, Force, but also artists who have never been invited to, um, you know, to engage with Encores, Force, right? And, and with that, we asked artists like, hey, what would you actually want to see? You know, is there a piece that you've always been intrigued in? Or is there, you know, so through that sort of community dialogue, we found, um, uh, uh, a tap dance kid because when you know when Lear spoke to Kenny Leon 
He's a director of Tap Dance. Kenny brought the piece and said, you know, there's this piece and it's it's wonderful. And, you know, I want to take a look at that. And, you know, the music is pretty much intact. The score is intact with, with, with that. And, um, and, and that to us made sense, right? Like it had never been revived. You know, there is a... Um, uh, an exuberant sort of like center in terms of the story, which is this this, this African American family, and the music is fun. It's it's you know it's uh, it's um, um, uh, it's just so full of verb and life, right? And so so to us that was you know okay then 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 that could be the hidden gem, right? Like let's look at that as a hidden gem because it had never been revived before and we can you know while we we do uh we can do sort of like little changes that Lydia, Lydia Diamond did to the book you know it's pretty much intact in terms of the story and then the music right um and then we looked at uh the life you know as a um it was funny because I had worked with Billy Porter for uh for 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 a long time you know um uh, we collaborated in many projects where he was a director and I was a designer. And when I came into this leadership role, you know, I said, yeah, have you, uh, Leo and I spoke about like, what pieces would you have wanted to been revived? And the life was one of them, right? And we both agreed, well, you know, uh, we need to, we need to look at that and we need to look at, you know, what maybe is preventing it from being revived, right? And so we spoke to, um, the the estate and you know and um uh and rick pappas of of, of Sykolman's estate basically told us the history of it you know and the reasons why and a lot of that had to do with the book right um and so you know i i've ha i've been having discussions with billy about the life over the years because he had a personal history with it you know um and so it, it, to, to us it was just a collision of stars so, and we called billy and he was uh, doing cinderella uh, in london um and uh, I think he had just finished shooting and we were in the middle of the pandemic and, oh no, this was pre-pandemic. It was like the February before the shutdown. And I said, you know, and we, Lear and I asked him if he would be interested and he said, yes, but I would, uh, I would need to really reconsider looking. I would love to, you know, reconsider looking at the book and actually have sort of artistic liberty on, on, uh, on interpretation of the life. And that's what he did. Right. And, and we're very proud of that production as, as we are on the tap dance kids. You know, he, he, I think there, here is an artist of today sort of wrestling with that material and making sense of it and how, um, uh, and in a way reclaiming a lot of that story, right? Um, that was written by a group of people for a group of people about a group of people, about a different group of people. And so, um, and so that's how we, um, we, we, we came up with the life. And Into the Woods had been a piece that, you know, uh, uh, Lear had been looking at for a long time, particularly because Lear has, you know, a long history with working with community, um, you know, and upon discovery that Into the Woods actually has adaptations both um, uh, Into the Woods Junior uh, for for students and also Into the Woods Senior that were being, that, you know, that was being performed in um, in nursing homes and home for, homes for the elderly. Um, it was, it seemed like the stars would collide that we could actually tell a story, an intergenerational sort of interpretation of it, right? Where, 
um, you know, it, it is about storytelling, right? It is about learning lessons and uh, through storytelling. And I think there's some, there's a profundity to what Lear's doing, you know, by engaging sort of the polar, the, 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 the polar points of, of life, right? And so you have um, uh, students, young students, and also elder folks, you know? And so that's sort of like how it, 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 it came. Like we have a long list of, of titles that we look at, you know, and it's always sort of a matrix of what rights can, can we get, you know, which artists can engage with it and how does it actually sit in this present zeitgeist? A lot of season planning is about, you know, it's sort of like there's a lot of crystal ball happening. You, 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 you have to look at like how, what the, what the direction of the world is, is going towards, you know, and so, um, and we have a, a, a big sort of community of artists uh, who we lean on. Uh, we have, you know, we have um, artistic advisors that we've, you know, that we've engaged with since she and I started uh, our leadership positions. And we, you know, we engage with all of our, uh, all of the folks, you know, like a brain trust. Um, um, yeah. And if you can say, or if you want to say, what are some of those titles that are that you've considered? Oh, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot, you know. And and and, and I, I and I, I hesitate to say because also I think rights sort of ebb and flow, right? Like like for instance, uh, let's just say you know, uh, let's just say you know we ask for the rights of uh, um, a Sondheim piece. Let's just say a particular Sondheim piece, right? And it depends on what gets produced that following season and whether or not, like, you know, our request for, for a concert version of it actually sits uh, in that, you know? So uh, having said that, I may have spilled the beans that we look at a lot of Sondheim and, you know, um, and I think, uh, um, and we will continue to do so, you know, um, but we also look at like pieces, uh, you know, uh, for instance, you know, we look at composers like the Cy Coleman um, um, body, body of work and we look at what, you know, hey, where, where in this can we, you know, can we place things? And um, yeah, no, we look at a lot of titles. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Do you ever, um, if the person who wrote the show or the original people involved are still alive, do you work with them on it or? Absolutely, you know, uh, an example of that was like Henry Krieger, who, uh, who was very involved and collaborated with Lydia Diamond. Henry was actually there almost every performance, you know, um, and was really sort of like embracing of what we were trying to do. I think one of the things that, you know, that was, well, one of the sort of like really satisfying profound experiences that I've had was like watching a person like Henry actually work with Lydia on 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 a piece that he wrote but knowing that uh, a lot of the characters you know um, uh, uh, experiences were shared experiences by Lydia so I think a lot of that to me was really profound like looking at that dialogue you know and looking at how to bring the piece um forward and particularly through a lived experience lens you know yeah yeah and so i'd be curious to know because uh, i know you're mentioning that you started in the new leadership position before the pandemic and so then what were your feelings when the pandemic happened and how did you continue to sort of 
keep audiences engaged during that? Yeah, so we we actually, you know, when we when I signed on, we were in um, uh, we were pre-pandemic, uh, very much like a few weeks before the, sh the shutdown, and then we dove into it during the pandemic, and we actually did um, a season, a digital season of yeah, yeah uh, um, uh, and it was geared towards sort of like building towards the first in-person season, right? I mean, the, the season are essentially, if, if we were being technical, this would be our second season but because the digital season was, was first. Um, and so we built on that. And, you know, I think we also built on a lot of like, just like working around the shows and working digitally. And, you know, to us, that was really important because we wanted to, to know how we would work as a team, right? With Rob Berman, the musical director and Jenny Gersten, our producer for musical theater. And so we were, you know, it, it, was, it was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Zoom meetings, you know, and, and and a lot of like asking, you know, actors to self record, you know, a lot of editing. It was a lot of like movie making in a way, you know. Uh, um, and so that's sort of like how we got the, you know, uh, audiences actually involved, you know. Um, I have to say, you know, we've been bringing in audiences who, have never gone to an encore show. And uh, for instance, in the life, you know, we we brought in a new group of audiences that hopefully we can also cultivate, you know. Um, uh, we did so many things uh, in the last two shows that were sort of like groundbreaking, you know, we've had, uh, you know, we've had a show centered around a black trans woman and we had a black trans actor, you know, a, a premiere on on, uh, uh, on on the city center stage, and that was you know that was a cause for celebration for us. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned um, movie making. So I'd like to ask you about a movie you worked on recently, which was <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And so, how did this happen? What was it like to go into the world of movies? Oh, um, you know, I was very lucky because I had collaborated with Lethal Tommy for a long time, who was who also directed the movie, and with Tracy Scott Wilson, who wrote the movie, um, their children of the theater. And so it was natural, you know, and we also worked with, you know, a lot of theater actors, including Jennifer, who, you know, who did Color Purple on Broadway and has developed, a, a, you know, a couple of, like, uh, original musicals, you know. Um, so, uh it was just an extension of my work as a costume designer in the theater, you know, I mean, yes, the scale was different and, you know, and we were, we were working on a different sort of schedule, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, uh, to me, it was a natural progression, but it was also sort of like a welcome change, you know, um, and as you probably know and notice, you know, um, that the, the lines between the mediums are, have become more and more porous, you know, you have so many playwrights writing for film and TV um, and streaming now um, that, you know, I think there's just, there's, there's so much op there's so much art artistic opportunities in all the mediums. You know, Lear had just done Annie Live, you know, and I think uh, um, we, I think we are thankfully in a world where we, we, you know, we don't feel like uh, our talents are siloed, you know, uh, that we can sort of cross over and cross back and forth. You know? And about that, um, that specific movie, what was yeah. your sort of research process like for that? And 
Oh yeah, no, it was you know it was intense. Uh, you know, I spent I spent a lot of uh, months before that. I probably spent like half six months researching. You know, going through um, all the biographies that I could about her. You know, um, and speaking to family members, uh, and then you know, looking at once I got the script, looking at sort of the trajectory of that. You know, and going into the period sort of like details, not only through sort of like fashion catalogs, you know, um, but also like uh, particularly African-American magazines of that period, you know, most of them were in black and white, so I could conjure up color, you know, and I had to like really do sort of like the, my, so my own research where I would go to, you know, black churches, you know, in, in, in different cities in America to look at their archives, you know, because there are so many photographs that are actually not on the internet, but is actually kept on like photo albums in, in, in these churches. And so, you know, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of research. I also had a lot of help, right? So like I had like, you know, um, uh, a few associates and assistants who, you know, over time would, you know, sort of gather research because we, we, we costumed a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> What have been some of the projects you've worked on that have required the most research or the most interesting research? <clears throat> I think certainly with that, you know. Um, but when I did Sunday in the Park, you know, oh. I mean, yeah, that was that was that was a lot of research and a lot of research that I ended up uh, using, but not using in a photographic way, but using as a as a as a point of contrast, you know, I wanted to rebel against the research. Um, uh, almost every project requires so much research, you know, eclipsed when I did it in Broadway, um, you know, uh, I'm working on K-pop right now, the musical, um, and, uh, and that requires a lot of research because not only do I need to be like culturally competent, you know, um, but it is a genre um, that's being translated into another genre, right? And it's 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 more about translating a genre than sort of a narrative arc, you know. Um, but but yeah, no, almost every project is like a deep dive into research, you know. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, oh, What's on this island was an intense oh. research show. Um, when I did that on Broadway, because it was a particular point of view, I was rooted in a particular. Um, uh, uh, time period um, and, um, and, a, and a particular kind of fantasy, you know. Um, um, so yeah, no, those were those were the projects I think, you know, to, to name a few. Thank you. And so this is of course going way back, but I'd be interested to know how did your passion for design first begin or how did you first decide that, that was what you wanted to do? <clears throat> oh, um, I, um, my uh, passion for design um, was rooted out of my passion for the theater. You know, I fell in love with the theater at a young age. Um, I was born and raised in the Philippines. I, you know, got involved in political street theater. So my, my brand of theater has always been sort of the activist kind of kind. And, um, and I just fell in love with it, you know, and deeply in love with the sort of transform transformative nature of it, you know, how it can actually uh, change your point of view, you know, uh, if you watch the right piece, if you experience the right piece of theater, um, it could be, you know, um, life changing. And so I, I love that, you know, but I didn't know, I, I wasn't a performer. 
um, nor was I a director. Um, and I had a proclivity to design. And I also loved that as a designer, I could go in and out of, um, you know, being private and public um, because there's a lot of times that I spend just in my studio or just in the internet, like looking for research. And I love that. You know, so it, that made sense to me. And so um, and that's how I, you know, ended up being a designer. Yeah. And so how did you first sort of become aware of Broadway and decide to move to New York? <laughs> um, you know, I was in a production of, um, uh, not, I wasn't, I had seen a touring production of Oliver in the Philippines, right? And so I was fascinated by it. I was like, oh my God, what is this creature? What is this thing? You know, this musical. And then I think that sort of like was my first entree into the American, you know, not American, but like the musical theater world, you know, and of course the church of that is Broadway. And I think that's, you know, very young age. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, growing up in the theater and hanging out with theater kids, you know, you, you sort of, that is, Broadway is, quote unquote, what had been anointed as the pinnacle of, of that form. And so, you know, there was, there was always uh, an awareness of it, you know. And so were there designers who either mentored you directly or sort of inspired you with their Oh yeah, I mean they and and there still are, you know. I'm very inspired by the you know the young designers who are coming up, you know. Um, but I'm also you know deeply indebted to you know like Willa Kim influenced me a lot. Um, you know, um, I, I love Bob Israel's work. You know, his work in opera, Eiko Ishioka. You know, because you have you had a very sort of like really singular voice. You know. Um, uh, and my teachers, you know, Paul Steinberg, Susan Hofferty, you know, all those um, sort of giants of the American theater design, you know, um, really inspired me, you know. Yeah. And how did you begin to sort of get hired as a costume designer and, and set designer and how did that work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get, uh, well, you know, through, uh, I think, persistence, you know, and also creating a body of work, um, but it wasn't easy, you know, uh, I don't think people looked at me and looked at my last name and immediately thought, oh, yes, he should design on the American stage, you know, I think there was, there had always been, um, uh, uh, for me at least, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I think that was a, it was a struggle, you know, uh, because, uh, and, and, um, but, you know, I think I was persistent and I also found collaborators who believed in the same things that I believed in and who liked my work and, you know, enjoyed and we enjoyed working together. And it was about that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't about like a career move or how am, am I going to make it, all of that kind of stuff. It was really just, you know, like I'm just, I just want to be creating work with these people and, um, and, uh, and that was self-sustaining in a way. Yeah. And I, I'd be curious to know, um, in what form do you do your, like, sketches when you're first thinking about designs? Do you do it with pencil or painting or? Yeah, I know. That's a really good question. Yeah, I do, like, little doodles here and there with, with, with my iPad, you know. Um, and then I develop it on the computer most of the time. Or, or I have a little, like, sketch pad, uh, a pencil and a um, little, you know, 
Oh God, do I have anything here? It's, it's in my studio. I'm actually at my home studio right now. I'm in my home office, but it's in my studio in the town. Um, but you know, I have a little sketch pad that I draw things um, uh, or I collage things, you know? Um, a lot of that I do on my iPad. Um, and then I do a lot of like um, uh, uh, Photoshopping, you know? Um, uh, and then, you know, uh, with scenery, I, I one of the things I, I, I really like to do is build a model of this of the theater first and put a human being on it, you know, a figure, a scale figure to just really look at how that, how a, a human figure places itself in that space. And I sort of build around that, you know, it's almost like building a world around a human being, you know. Um, but that's sort of like, you know, that's sort of um, how I do things. I mean, it varies from one project to the other, you know, yeah. Do you prefer to be, with being such a talented costume and scene designer, do you prefer to do both or just one? Or? Um, it, that's a really good question because like most of the, I, I, in theory, I love doing both, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, the reality is, is that if, if one doesn't get enough support, you know, or a robust support, it becomes torturous. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to do one. I also like doing just one because it opens up the collaborative um, pool more, you know, there are more people who are working on it, you know, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I it, it really depends, you know, there are projects where, oh gosh, yeah, I love doing both, you know, like when I did a clip on Broadway, I love doing that, or when I do some operas, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's satisfying to do both. Um, uh, the last time I did both was uh, Long Day's Journey in Tonight, like a, a couple months ago. And that was satisfying, you know, but uh, I also, there are times when I feel like I will only do sets, you know, and that's sort of been the last kind of like, I don't know, two years when we were doing Slave Play and, you know, Grand Horizons and Broadway, you know, it's, it ebbs and flows. It depends on like where the, I don't know, where my spirit is. <laughs> yeah. There's no real science, you know. And what was it like to have the experience of doing Slave Play and then bringing it back after the pandemic? Oh, it was great. You oh. know, it was just great because we had learned so much, you know. We, we, we did Slave Play before, uh, before George Floyd got murdered, right? Yeah. And, um, and the world had changed, you know. We were given the gift of sort of awareness, right? And then I think um, bringing it back to Broadway after that, you know, and particularly, you know, um, uh, in a way it was also sort of, you know, um, we were just kind of like, it was like the pandemic is coming down to a soft landing. It was, um, it was very satisfying, you know, I think particularly for an audience to see it you know, having experienced the world differently now, <clears throat> you know. And so um, I would love to ask too about your um, Broadway debut, which was with Violet and what that <laughs> was like. God, you do the research. Oh, it was, it was, it was great, you know. Um, I never, you know, I, I never, I, you know, I, I never, I, as I told you, my sort of journey was not, you know, was not easy. In a way, you know, there was a time where I was just like, oh yeah, I don't think I'll ever 
design on Broadway. And I think I'm okay with that. You know, I just work at operas or maybe do a couple of films and all that. So that was really, I was really happy to do that. And particularly in a piece that was started at Encores, you know, um, and so in a way it was kind of like full circle, but it was a lot of fun, you know, and formed a really good sort of like vibe with Lee Silverman and Janine Kasori and Sutton, you know, who, um, who was just the gift of a performer. Um, and, you know, we've done a couple more projects after that. So, you know, it's been, uh, that, that was a, that was a good, for me, that was a really great debut. You know, that was a, that was a debut of dreams, you know. Yeah. And are there certain things you have to do differently or consider differently when you're designing for like a star performer, like say Bradley Cooper or Sutton Foster? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, you know, because there's a machine behind them. Yeah. Um, and there are expectations, you know. Um, I think uh, um, you have to kind of like go through layers of, 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 of what the possible effects are of designing something on that particular persona, you know. Um, uh, you know, there's one of the questions is, is it like, oh, how far can we push the design? Can we transform, for instance, you know, can we transform Bradley or can we transform Lupita? And and if we do go too far, you know, I, I mean, it's always about like, you know, how, 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 how far can we go? Yeah. How far can we go before, uh, before it becomes less about the character appearing like they are they ought to be and more about oh my god look at what he did to brad look at what look at what he did to lupita or look at what he did to jake you know it, it becomes you know what i mean like it becomes about that and you don't want that to be the conversation you know with uh, with with a you know with with an actor or a star who do, who may not have that same cachet you can go further, right? Because yeah. then it's about it's about uh, you know it's a just it's, it's a different calibration, and of course you know you just can't um, you can't apply the same rules to. I mean, neither will I apply the same rules to other folks. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, just, it's 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 different rules. You know. <clears throat> And so as a, as a designer, what is the first thing you do when you look at a script in terms of starting to visualize? Um, uh, for me, it's, it's always about an emotional response, you know? Um, uh, I don't, when I read something, um, I tend to read it a couple of times, you know? Um, and I don't particularly sort of feel like I need to grasp something yet. I just kind of want to feel um, my way through it, you know, and I ask two questions. I ask, how is, you know, how is the piece making me feel? You know, how does, you know, what am I feeling, right? And then the other thing is, what does it feel like as if it's something that I could touch or smell or, you know? Um, and those two sort of like initial questions give me a lot of answers that become paths for sort of like looking for research creating physical worlds or creating what, you know, inhabitants of those worlds may look like. But it really begins with that emotional response. And that's, that to me is the beginning. And that's a constant, you know, um, that I, I, I have to, I have to feel my way through it, you know, and, um, uh, and, and, and to me, that's been, 
and that's been my process and that's been a gift you know there's a um it, it forces me not to sort of to to really consciously fight being jaded fight being you know um not emotional you know what i mean like it, it keeps me emotionally porous in a way and then the the last sort of project I'd love to talk about is your um, work with the American Theater Wing that you do. Yeah. And so, what is it exactly that you do as a? <laughs> I do a lot of things with the American Theater Wing, but you know, um, I'm on the advisory board of the American Theater Wing, so I work very closely with them. Um, one of the things that we've worked on right now is um, a collaboration with Design Action, and it's um, and it's a it's a it's a uh, Design Action is a group that we started um, during the pandemic with a bunch of designers, um, uh, uh, excellent designers like David Zinn, Ricardo Hernandez, everybody. Um, we got together and looked and really looked at the field and looked at how equitable. And it hasn't, right? And that that's just sort of like fact, you know. Um, uh, just an example: the last two seasons before the pandemic, out of the three hundred and something jobs, you know, ninety percent of it went to um, went to white designers. Um, and so we were interested in how 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 can we make that embrace bigger? How can we invite more people to this thing that we love, you know? And um, and uh, and we looked at really what it means to be equitable, right? And what it means to sort of even the playing field, right? And so you may say, oh, you know, I'm going to hire more designers of color, but it ends up being the same designers of color, right? Mm -hmm. And it, to us, I think part of that was really just there wasn't a lot of um, opportunities being given to high school students, you know, who could actually look at uh, theater design as a viable um, career path, right? And um, it's always through like, you know, acting or performing. And so that's the work that, you know, that we've done with the American Theater Wing, you know, and with Design Action is like, it, we, we launched Springboard to Design, which is literally a, uh, a um a program that that gives high school students exposure to theater design you know um we did we did it last year um we did it last year uh um uh, uh remotely you know and this year we're doing it live so you know 16 to 20 lucky um, high school students are going to be in New York City for a week, um, uh, going through workshops every day, looking at what, you know, how shows are made, um, seeing Broadway shows, hopefully seeing something in the park, you know, if it doesn't rain, and um, going to museums and just like really looking at, you know, what theater designers do. And so that's, that's, the, that's what currently um, uh, uh, what's at the fore of what I'm doing with the American Theater Wing. That's a great, a great idea and a great program to have. And so I'd love to ask you just one final question, which is, yes. with such a great career in the theater, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Oh, go where the love is. You know, that's really my biggest advice. You know, I think if you go to where people love you and uh, um, where you find a, group, a community of people <clears throat> who think the way you think, who value your thoughts, who value what you believe in as a human being. You know, you will never feel um, less than or lacking. 
right? And I think that's very important because a lot of the theater is luck. Yeah. Um, you know, I can go on about how we're, we're, we're you know, we're, sometimes, not sometimes, but there are, I look at how we're educating young folks and it's about, you know, selling them a dream, right? Uh, but to me, part of uh, how you can sustain yourself, if you truly love to create theater, right? It's really by surrounding yourself with a community of like-minded folks who, yeah. you know, who will value you. And, and I always say that because in spite of whatever happens to your career, whether you end up on Broadway or you end up running uh, a regional theater or you know you have a thriving um, uh, uh, career as a theater administrator somewhere, I think community is what's most important. Yeah. You know? um, and, 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 and the theater can do that. The theater heals up in a way. Right, and so we should. I think there's so much attention being paid to stars and glitz and glamour that we forget about the transformative power of the theater, right? Which is to bring us together, and actually to heal us, right? Like a lot of us come to the theater broken, and um, and the theater heals us, right? And so a lot of that is because we all know what it is to be broken, and we all know. Who, how we heal each other, and that's only if we come together, right? Um, so, I, in a in, in a very short sentence, I, the thing that I would say is, go where the love is. Yeah. Well, thank you, and thank you for doing this. No worries, it's been good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank Listeners, you. thanks so much for tuning in. This is Michael Levine again, reminding you to tune in next week for an interview with Broadway star and producer Joan Fagan. As a leading lady on Broadway in the 1960s, among Ms. Fagan's credits are Redhead, La Plume de Matante, and The Three Penny Opera. She also starred in Donnybrook and was the standby for Inga Swenson in 110 in the Shade, in addition to leading stock productions of South Pacific and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. After her early performing, she and her husband formed Contempt Incorporated, a company which won many Clio awards for the famous industrial shows it produced. Miss Biz Marshall made her comeback in 2001, appearing in the revival of Follies and in 70 Girls 70 at Encores. She is now an environmental activist in Florida, so make sure to tune back in for a fascinating conversation with a theatrical figure with a multi-layered career. And thanks for listening.